Microsoft did a event yesterday launching the new Bing. They had one shot to improve the branding of Bing and they decided to stick with it and just call it new Bing. It isn't called new Bing, is it? Yeah, the new Bing. They missed a trick. Is this the thing that's integrated with chat GPT? So for background, obviously anyone listening must have heard of chat GPT by now, but it's Microsoft bought a 49% stake in it and are integrating their API into Bing. They're trying to just aggressively dominate the search engine market. And if they do that, it's instantly like five times better than Google. What about Bard? Well, this is it. So Google have a language model called Lambda that up until now, they were like, no, 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 we're not going to release it to the public because it's too dangerous. And then when Microsoft did their event, Google was like, oh shit. Like, okay. So now the following day, in fact, it's going on right now as we record this, they're doing a launching Bard, which is their answer to chat GPT. So it's going to be an exciting time. Microsoft and Google are really racing to the position for market dominance for chatbots. I think if there was an AI machine outside my house with a, with a chainsaw trying to get in, I imagine it would be called a bard. Do you know what I mean? It would have a name like that, wouldn't it? It sounds almost a bit devilish. Yeah, it's kind of medieval. Yeah. It's actually, the more I'm thinking about it, it's giving me like shivers. Chainsaw activated. Yeah, it's pretty ominous. Because there's just nothing you can do. But when that's what's happening. Yeah. Something to look forward to. It is. I just, who'd have thought, like, if Bing managed this, they've made the comeback of the century because they've gone from world crappest search engine to yeah. possibly the most powerful thing in the world. Bing was owned by Microsoft. Always yeah. has been. Was it created by Microsoft or was it acquired by Microsoft? I don't know, actually. Good question. Because I feel like when you buy, when you use like a Windows computer, the default search engine is Bing. Bing is what you use to download Chrome. It's the best search Google engine got, to download Chrome. Google makes so many good things, don't they? The problem is that they're known for like launching something and then discontinuing it two, two years later. So they'll launch something that's really cool, like that thing that arranges haircuts for you, that calls up local hairdressers and you know the really advanced AI assistants and stuff. And then people get scared or Google get cold feet and they discontinue it. I signed up for Stadia, which is their answer to Steam, got addicted to Mortal Kombat 11, and then... This month, they discontinued that as well, which to oh, be honest, really? it's a good thing for me because it means like it was That's a, a Mac stint. game. Yeah. And you've leveled it up from just on your iPhone. It's now like a dedicated sit down session. Is this because I suggested you get an Xbox? Yeah. Do you know what you should just get? Oh God. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> the new Oculus. I actually would if there was good enough work features, because I think the majority, like most of my use would be using it as a massive monitor. Have you checked that there aren't good work features on the new one? I've had a look, but it's not. I think since Apple around the corner from having their own Making one. headset, yeah, like I'm hoping that it'll just be like this 3D orb that you sit inside and you have a joystick that just rotates you in 3D, like, and you can, and that's the monitor all around you. I have the, like the, I think it's called the Quest. So it's like the second generation one that's just designed for gaming. But I got it during COVID. I still use it really regularly. There's like virtual reality golf, virtual reality racing. So you do use like, it actively? Yeah, like if I'm like sat there and I'm feeling in a bit of a funk with work, like you stick on an Oculus and you just somewhere else for 10 minutes. You play some table tennis, play some virtual table tennis. So I saw a thing of like someone giving an Oculus to his dad, who is an ex-boxer. Right. Playing the boxing game and he was really going for it. Yeah. So what do most people do in like a 10 minute break? They'll like 
they're sat working and then they stop looking at that screen and they look at another screen and they scroll through Instagram and then they stay sit, sat down and then they go back to working again. So in, in that 10 minutes, like I know it's still screens and I know it's maybe not the healthiest thing to do, but at least you get up and then play like, it's called Beat Saber, but it's like Guitar Heroes. You swipe lightsabers at things to make songs and you just do that for 10 minutes. That so, sounds fun. It's, it's a frame shift. It's a bit physical. Nice Pandora mm. break. I could get on board with that. Combine that with the ability to have surround screen. That's why I think you should get an Oculus. That's my pitch. Like imagine it's, if you could be in Mortal Kombat. Imagine that. I don't know if I'd want to be. It's so violent, so graphic. But that has moved me further along the buying curve. You've referred me an Oculus. Nice. Relatively. It's a hard purchase though, isn't it? Because it's really, I think the new one's like 1500 quid. So the Quest, I think, it, is it the Quest? It's over 500 pounds, isn't it? So I think the one I have is like 300 quid, which is like on the low end of like a console price. Like if you'd go and buy like an Xbox or a PlayStation or something like that, it's in that kind of bracket. I think the new one... If it's my workspace, absolutely no question. But yeah. it's like you buy one and then at the September Apple event, they launch Siri 2.0 and the Apple headset. And then you're like, oh God. And the Apple headset will be three grand, but it'll be amazing. <laughs> I think that'll be one of the hardest decisions I have to make. If that's what happens, if they release a three grand virtual reality headset, Mark my you'd have words, to get it on like 0% Barclays Finance, wouldn't you? Episode 47 of the podcast, you know, if you're listening to this at the end of 2023 and Apple have pulled their finger out and finally released this headset, let's see how close we are to the price. Three grand sounds about right because like it's going to have the processing power of at least of a top end iPad, isn't it? If it's if just a MacBook, more. but in a oh my helmet, God. then... I'm in. Because hearing Mark Zuckerberg talk about the metaverse, one of his arguments is like, there's no need for a phone to be a physical thing. There's no need for a laptop to be a physical thing. As long as you have like a hard surface, you can just have an augmented reality version of the laptop. And then you never run into like hardware limitations, screen size limitations, any of the things that like a laptop has now. You could just have the biggest screen that your space will allow. You can have multiple screens. You can have multiple keyboards. Well, the solution for keyboards, like it could just be a projected thing where you're just tapping your fingers on your desk and it that's the keys or even gloves. So just twitches in your fingers result in typing or movement of your eyes. Like it could get pretty scary. So the Oculus I have has moved from, you need two handles, like two things that when you go like that, if you're listening, I'm opening my hand. It can sense that you've like let taken your index finger off the handle, for example, but it's now progressed to just hand tracking. So you don't even need the handles. You go like that and you can see your hands and you go like this and your hands move. Wow. So like you can just see that they're moving towards thought tracking. And then like, impulse well, it's tracking. just Mark Zuckerberg is just putting everything he can into They bought Oculus and then they're just trying to develop all of the software side of it to be as good as it can be. So I don't know. It was one of the big tech CEOs was saying it's the race to the bottom of the brainstem. And I think that's becoming more and more literally true. Yeah. It's just that it'll be used to squeeze our attention onto like shit short form content. And like, if you look at the way, like the size of the mobile gaming industry and what that's designed to do to your attention yeah, and feeds and TikTok and all this stuff, like it's not going to be used for enriching lives really. So that's what I'm really upset about, like the iOSification of the world, because everything's becoming like touchscreen and big icons and stuff. And I, I just hope it doesn't result in the death of the MacBook because that's where the real work gets done. That's what earns you money. 
anyone who runs their business on their phone needs to sort their life out. <laughs> There's a brilliant, I think Russ has sent it to you. There's like a clip of Sam Evans talking to a student and she's like, I run my whole business on my iPad. And he's like, why? And she's like, well, I can, I can just run it on my iPad and it's easy. He's like, yeah, but why would you do that? Like, why would you not just have a laptop? <laughs> I totally agree <laughs> with him. It's a toy. She's like, but yeah, but I can have like a keypad and I can type. And he's like, yeah, but it's worse. Like everything about it's worse. Like you're just not as productive. You're distracted. You got to do all this swiping and typing and like, just buy a fucking laptop. Yeah. Like for the cost and everything. But what's annoying is like, we've seen the percent, you know, like you look at your Google analytics and the number of people 10 years ago compared to now who are on desktop versus mobile, it's mm. shifted so far in favor of mobile. Here's a question for you that you may or may not have seen on our Stripe dashboard. Have you seen the percentage of purchases made on mobile on our Stripe dashboard? Oh, no. You haven't? Fantastic. No. What do you think it is? It'll be over 70%. 80% was the, like, is the web traffic for mobile. So I imagine it's slightly lower than that. It's 46%. Okay. Is that lower or higher than you thought? I sat and thought about it for quite a while. And actually, I think it's higher than I thought. Reason being, I totally get browsing I totally get like consuming content, reading emails on mobile devices. But if I was going to buy something significant, I would probably use my laptop. And I don't really know why, but I probably would use my laptop. Yeah, same. But it's... Do you have a reason? Just because I barely use my phone. I've got fat thumbs. There's I can't type in my address properly. But you can pay with your face. A lot yeah, that's a great feature. I think also like the caliber of people that listen to our podcasts and follow our stuff, the higher brow, just morally superior people that tend to use using laptop devices so mm. there it is there's the little grenade that i've just thrown out for the, the podcast <laughs> listeners i don't think i even mentioned this to you yesterday i had to do a speed awareness course yesterday oh do... no yeah to be honest it was painless to be honest it was like a two-hour teams thing that's a huge benefit of covid oh, it used to be a full day in-person event nine to five <laughs> yeah like drive to cramlington sit in a building in cramlington for the full day Whereas this was a Teams meeting that was honestly like you could sort of have one eye on it, one eye not on it. It was all very basic Running stuff. ads on the other monitor. It was very, very well run. It just felt like I was on a Zoom meeting because Zoom's better than Teams, but sadly it was on Teams. I was on a Teams meeting kind of partly. But anyway, the thing that was surprising about it was there was like seven other people on it and only one of the other attendees was on her phone. And they were like, every sort of like two or three minutes the phone was like slipping and pointing at the ceiling and then like that you could see them like fumbling around and like typing that the face was really close to the camera <laughs> and you're like everyone with a laptop i mean you, you could sort of see that everybody with a laptop was also kind of doing work at the same time <laughs> you can hear the <laughs> yeah they're like there <laughs> i was actually surprised at how many people were on clearly like a desktop computer or a laptop on the call and i guess that's just a working from home effect isn't it it's like a lot of people are sat there typing doing work with a laptop and probably that's where they do like planning things email buying things well if you're using a pc there's an ai tool based on your graphics card that does the equivalent of at school when you could like paint eyes on your eyelids and fall asleep in class oh yeah so it can make it look like you're engaged on the zoom class but actually you're just so do, can it do it if i'm like looking over here is it that thing it, yeah so it'll tilt your face and make it look like you're talking to the camera so you could always do that and just green screen or just to be honest, stream a looping video of you looking attentively at the camera and nodding occasionally. There was one person, the whole call, he was like this the whole time. And I thought 
I think that's a loop video. Really? It's a ballsy thing to do. But I, I don't think the like the people who run these classes aren't like experts in detecting deep fakes, are they? Like they're Yeah. Why would you do that ultimately? Like you would it's a lot of effort, isn't it? Like unless you have something really high value to do with the two hours of your life. Yeah, it's someone that really values their time, isn't it? But then you would have just because the option is to take the penalty points or go on the course, you mm. just take the penalty points. Yeah. So it's box A, box B, which is for anyone who doesn't know that, it's the way that Johnny and I approach risk. You have to be risk seeking on your upside and risk averse on your downside because if you take the points, yes, it's a defined downside, but you don't know if you're going to get another speeding ticket in future. You don't know what that's going to do to your insurance premium. So you've got to just accept the two hours. Nip it in the bud. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, well done if you've made it this far. 16 minutes of us nerding out over the the new releases in AI, but that's the goal. That's the juice. That's what. That's really why people are here. Now they're like, oh god, I've got to listen to the actual content. <laughs> it's like when the teacher does a little bit of small talk at the start of a lesson. Everyone's like, oh yeah, more of that, sir, more of that. <laughs> and then you're like, right, everyone turn to page thirty four. You're like, oh, god. that's what this is. Principles yeah. of microeconomics. And, oh yeah, oh, exactly. Go. So here is how to get referrals as an online coach. I thought it wasn't even possible. It's barely possible. It's not something to build your business on. That's it. That's the critical thing. I think people think that they will be able to get referrals and word of mouth because a lot of, basically, if you're good at what you do, if you work in a gym and you are good at what you do and you get people results, chances are you started out with a handful of clients that you got from walking the gym floor and then they referred a friend and then people started talking about you and like in their group of friends and suddenly you've got like more inquiries than you can work with and you think like oh that was good i've just got to be good at what i'm doing so when i start online coaching i'll do a post on social media i think people always overweight how much of an effect that has so like i'm going to do a big announcement post on my social media that i'm starting an online program that'll bring in my first three four five clients and then i'll just grow it in the same way i'll just be really good at what i do and i'll just grow it in the same way and i think that creates this like mismatching expectations, frustration that you can't just use word of mouth and referrals as an online coach. So what are some ways that you can work around this? Like if we assume that it's not going to be the bulk of stuff coming in, at least in the early phase of moving online, how can you at least maximize your chances of that while you're focusing on some proper lead generation strategies? Well, I think the first thing is having proper lead generation strategies, having a proper sales system. Because if you, are you about to say something? I don't know if you heard the upstairs neighbors just going, like, yeah, yeah. no, I didn't. But because your mouth moved slightly as the noise was there, had I heard it, I would have assumed it was you <laughs> just trying to throw me off, ask me a question and then go like Rob Bryden's man in the box. Yeah. So the, the critical thing with all of this is you need a consistent flow of new people into your business that you have control over. So control over lead generation, control over a percentage of those people becoming clients but once you have people signing up as clients, there's a way to basically not quite double, but kind of 1.5 times the number of clients you get across a year. And there's sort of, there's three things, I suppose they're almost mistakes that people make, but there's three things to do to maximize the chances of that. The first one is, I'll let you do the first one, Yusuf, pricing. Okay. We've given up the ghost now because I was like, how do we do it? And actually I happen to know. <laughs> you knew all along, didn't you? <laughs> It's all for the sake of the theater of the podcast. So yeah, as, as Johnny says, like the purpose of the delivery and the quality in your service is that it serves as a general amplifier to people 
referring people on. So if they have a good time working with you, that's going to generally improve people referring their friends. And I saw Hormozy posted about this yesterday saying, you're better off spending two years building an amazing product than your audience does your marketing for you than spending two months building a shit product and like you then having to spend the next two years trying to push it to more people. Mm. So he's taken a bit of an extreme of the time course there, but the idea is that your product should be the marketing as well. And that's what's going to amplify everything and make your business a lot smoother. But for people who don't know you, if they're talking about your service and your price is either really smoke and mirrors or it's unreasonably high from hearing someone's experience about it, it's instantly going to put them off. It's very hard to try and sell someone onto something with a price that they've never paid before for a service like that, or for a price that's very difficult to describe. So we're always a fan of simple, transparent pricing. If let's say your coaching is 150 pounds a month or 200 pounds a month, and there's no minimum period and you have a great time and you tell your friend, Hey, I've just signed up with this coach and it's been brilliant. I've been the most consistent I ever have with my diet, with my training. I'm already starting to see results, I'm feeling more energetic. Oh, cool. How much is it? It's five grand. What? You paid five grand compared to, oh, it's 200 pound a month and you can cancel at any time. Brilliant. Like then your maximum downside to giving it a try is 200 quid. And if by the end of that month, it wasn't worth it, no harm done. Mm. And you should be confident enough in the service that you give that, in one month of someone staying with you, they're like, actually, I quite liked this. This was a good experience. I'm going to stay for longer. If they don't, if you're getting everyone canceled after month one, you probably need to look at your delivery systems and the quality of your coaching rather than your marketing. Yeah. We talk about pricing a lot, but it's the, if somebody is not in a place where they're thinking about signing up with an online coach and their friend is trying to convince them, they will have, just like anything, they will have a rough ballpark expectation of kind of what that thing will cost. And if it's 10 times the price they have in their mind, what the friend is having to do is overcome such skepticism and doubt and no, I don't want to do that. And like, they almost have to push them into thinking this is worth it. It's just a very hard thing to do. So generally, if you've got this kind of, as you have says, this like transparent pricing where they can just tell their friends what they're paying and it's easy for them to join. And there's also then a community aspect to it, which links in with the pricing, right? So rather than going after five clients a month paying three grand go after multiple clients in a community and you coach the expensive clients one-to-one -one. go after multiple clients in a community holding each other accountable you're the kind of coach leading group everyone's paying a lower amount per month and you're going after long-term retention lifetime value people join and they're like oh i'm in this group of people and everyone's holding each other accountable and we're all getting results together and it's kind of this like we've had people in our group coaching meet up with each other without us there train with each other without us there and become friends as a result of that you don't get that if it's just you whatsapping loads of people one-to-one -one. get the price right such an important thing and pricing tends to link in with use a group coaching method and part of the benefit the side benefit of that is you can have a community aspect to it which really drives the stick rate the retention as well so I wonder if there's perhaps a second way to generate more referrals. Tell you what, I think there might be a second way, actually. Another thing is, again, imagine one of your clients is out for dinner. They've lost loads of weight and their friend goes, wow, you've lost loads of weight. How have you done that? I've signed up with this coach. It's 150 pounds a month. That's pretty good. How do I like find out more about it? If it's then send them the word coach via a DM, or if it's like book a call with them, it's a little bit of a like, I'm not sure I really want to do that. I've still got some questions. I don't really want to book a call with a stranger, all that sort of stuff. But if your sales mechanism is attractive 
by itself, valuable by itself. Like, for example, I don't know, just first thing that comes to mind, a 14-day challenge or a 14-day kind of trial experience. It means that the pressure is off the friend to do the selling for you. So if that person might be totally outside the fitness industry, have no idea what the value of any of this is, no idea why they should sign up for an online coach. Why is that different to a personal trainer? What are they going to send me? What do I get? Is that going to even help? I've hurt my knee. Will it still work? I haven't got any equipment. I've got a gym membership. All these things, right? You either let your friend kind of have a crack at that with no training, or you have a system that you know works that does all of the selling and does all of that for them. And all they have to do is say, here's their Instagram, go to the link in their bio, or here's their website, go to the main link on the homepage. Just go through that. It'll give you all the answers you need. Yeah. Well, your Instagram tweet thread today was talking about this, which is that when someone starts to sign up with you or considering signing up with you, they've probably got about seven or eight questions of like, oh, well, I've tried this kind of thing before. Or how do I know this is going to work for me? And do I have to cut out carbs? And I cut to my arm, I hurt to my knee. How do I work around this? And all that stuff. But if your sales mechanism is standardized and handles those questions already, you know, hey, welcome to day three. If you cut to your arm and hurt to your knee, don't worry. I sort you out, brother. Then it's a good price. It gets you a good price. My uncle, he fixed your knee. <laughs> then you've got all that stuff automated and handled. And so you never have to worry about people trying to do the selling for you. Now, we could go on about this automated selling system forever because it's the real workhorse of the sales mechanism, the lead generation mechanism that we recommend and that we help people build in Propin Business, our program. So you can see the full outline of how that's run in the video in the description, but it's very powerful. It is the kind of single point of entry that anyone who joins you or finds out about you or clicks on your profile can go through and it takes them from freezing cold lead to hot and ready to buy. And if they don't buy, they're in your system, they're in your nurture sequence, and they'll buy in three months time or six months time. So I just can't overstate the importance of just having that in place. It'll save you a hell of a lot of time. There's an analogy that you used in a module we made recently, which is bags of popcorn. So like our system is you throw massive bag of popcorn in the microwave, turn the microwave on, get on with the rest of your day. And they'll all pop eventually. Like some will pop straight away and you'll be like, Ooh, that was faster than I was expecting. Some might take, I don't know, what's a reasonable amount of time, minutes and minutes and minutes of time to pop. <laughs> and you think like, God, this is ridiculous. And then maybe the final one pops and you're like, I can't believe that one popped. I didn't think it was going to. The kind of the one-to-one -one sales call DMing equivalent is like one taking one popcorn and like lighting a match under it and trying to heat it up and... or just doing anything by any means necessary to get that one bit of popcorn to pop and if it doesn't you're devastated and you feel deceived and you're like it told me it was going to pop and then it said it had to go speak to its partner and <laughs> told me it was going to get a credit card this is bullshit exactly the point is it, it will just take as long as it takes but you need the process you need the system in place to give people who are ready to if you just referred me to a coach i don't know much about it i've never done any of this before i don't know how it's going to work I want my questions answered. I'm keen to sign up, but I want my questions answered. Where do I go to get that information to be able to make the decisions? If it's just scroll through their Instagram or have a look on their website, or here's their about me page. It's not going to answer the stuff that I care about. Like I've cut my arm, I've hurt my knee. Will this, <laughs> will this still work for me? <laughs> this is also the problem with just sending someone to your Instagram. Because yeah, you might have, you know, the last 10 posts that you posted is kind of a roll of the dice. Like maybe one of those reels that you posted was relevant to them. But the nature of a feed is that it's constantly updating and it's kind of random stuff each time. So even if it converts a sale, best case scenario, how do you replicate that? Because then the next person that joins might be in two weeks time, that post that caused them to buy is bumped down the feed and it no longer 
makes the sale. So how do you know if Instagram is the thing which is helping convert the sales? So instead, standardized each time it works, you optimize it, you make it better and better until you've got the best version of the process. I think the real thing that's lost with something like look through someone's Instagram is the weight a bit of content or an explanation has is really determined by the sequence it's in. So you might make a point in your latest posts or your latest reel that's really effective for all of the people who understand all the other stuff they need to understand for that to be relevant. But if that's the first thing I see from you, it's either going to be too basic because you posted something like that yesterday or far too complicated. And I'm like, what's this? I'm going to go listen to Joe Wicks. Yeah, it's got to be matched to the person's level of awareness. And mm -hmm. generally you want to be, you know, the whole value statement is that I help A to achieve B via C without D. So I help people with this problem to achieve this goal, this solution via this method without these obstacles. And for cold traffic, you want to be focusing more on the problem and for warmer traffic, you're focusing on the solution. That's because people who are cold, they might not be as aware and they don't know what problem they're actually solving. So you have to get them up to that point first. And so if you have a standardized sequence, it gets them problem aware, highlights, okay, this is where you're at right now. And these are the consequences if you don't address this problem, then here's the solution. And I happen to be someone who can help you to get to this solution. And hopefully by this point, I've built up your trust and we can move forward and you can work with me. And if not, join my email list and sign up later. So that's how the whole thing works. Number three, a way to generate referral sales is incentivize your clients to do it. So this is just because sometimes it just doesn't feature. Someone might be having an amazing, you might've joined a HelloFresh recently and love it, but you just didn't occur to you to recommend your friends until you get a little leaflet that says, oh, hey, your next order 20 pounds off if you refer a friend. And you're like, oh, actually, yeah, like I do really like HelloFresh. And then you, you know, you're incentivized, everything's aligned. It's good for you. It's good for them. So having a referral system can work really well. You don't have to give people cash as a referral. You can do works very well. Everyone loves cash, but you can also give people a discount on their next service. You can incentivize both parties involved. And I think the most powerful affiliate programs are where you give someone a discount code, you get a kickback and they get money off because then yeah. everyone benefits. And as long as there's enough margin in your business to do that, fine. And actually with online coaching, there will be because they're referring a friend. So there's no cost of acquisition of that client to you. So it's like, you can afford to give away 20, 30, 40% of the first month of that coaching and split it between both parties. Yeah. Your point there of make sure you give the person who is signing up some sort of benefit. Cause if it's just, they pay full price, but you get a bonus, like it's, why would I do that? Like, why would I go through that person's link? I'm going to, we have this with a couple of things, don't we? Like a couple of bits of software that wanted us to join their referral scheme. And I think we get a commission for referring it, but people don't get anything as a result of using our link. Like why they just go to the website and sign up? Yeah, there are some, and sometimes they're like, oh, only on like Easter discount or Black Friday or mm -hmm. whatever. But yeah, with software, like you're welcome to use our affiliate links if you want to. You don't have to, like it's kind of pennies at the end of the day. But mm -hmm. the other thing, and this is more, if you are affiliating with other products is you've got to maintain your credibility and only recommend stuff that you personally endorse and use. Yeah. Don't do the classic mistake. I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago of like you create a YouTube channel, you get a thousand subscribers and then Manscaped gets in touch with you and goes, Hey, we'll pay you 200 pounds if you promote our product. And you don't really believe in the product, but you go, oh, well, 200 quid, like I don't want to, but then you've instantly lost credibility and your viewers can sense that. So only promote what you personally use. 
great rule to live by. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so just asking people, firstly, like, would you like to bring a friend with you? Or, you know, is there anyone else who you think would add to the community? Again, another reason for using a group model, because you aren't just saying to that person, hey, sign up with this and you get to DM this person privately. It's like, hey, sign up to this. We'll be in the group together. We'll be doing a similar program together. It'll be like the adapted version. We go train together at the gym. We'll keep each other accountable. So it's easy for them to refer people into that. Give them t-shirts. Give them something that's like an exclusive, like club-like feel. Like, oh, I referred a friend. That means I get this that other people don't have. So it kind of entices everybody else to refer friends. There's lots of ways you can do it, but just think about, you know, stuff you see online where there's people, think about stuff you've referred your friends to. Like what had to happen for you to cross that boundary? How good did the service have to be? What were the incentive structures in place? If you have referred HelloFresh or Gusto or something like that to your friends, it's actually a great example. Why did you do that? And it is probably because you had it for a couple of months. You really enjoyed it. And in the third box you got, there was a little voucher on the top of it that said, hey, refer a friend, give your friends this code and you get this much off and they get something for free. So it makes it really simple. Something to add to that. So referring a friend is the one-to-one option. There's also the one-to-many option of testimonial. Now, mm. we talked about testimonials last week on the podcast, but if you want to generate them without any effort, just put it into your email automations. When someone signs up, whenever they have a win or whatever, you can include it in your email sequence and give some kind of reward or benefit to them leaving a testimonial for you, text or video, save them into a folder, collect them. They're like gold dust. App developers and software services are great at this. So they'll often have built into their systems, leave us a trust pilot review and receive this or get a free month or whatever. I think it's against Amazon terms, but you still get dodgy Chinese products that'll put in like a little card that says like, oh, leave us a review and we'll send you this like sort of backhand deal. Oh, really? I've not experienced any of that. I've never actually thought about that before. There's no incentive to review things with Amazon products. I don't know if it's allowed or not, but it feels very naughty when they do it. Mm. But that's because Amazon reviews are a very gameable thing because of the ranking system. Yeah. Well, reviews in general, like I ignore one star and five star, pay attention mainly to three and four star reviews. One star delivery driver was rude or Mm -hmm. like ordered and it didn't arrive. Like, okay. (laughs) For example, find that hard to believe. So, well, we can talk about reviews next week, actually, because we've had a couple of people ask recently, should I set up a trust pilot as an online coach? And I think there's a lot of pros and cons to that, which we can always. Another thing that I think we should talk about as well for maybe a later episode, I wrote an email on this the other day. Somebody sent us an email saying like something along the lines of like, which I thought was an interesting, it's an interesting like view on just how anything works, like how mentoring, information, coaching, achieving any kind of result works. I think the same person or someone, someone else said like, why don't you just do a VC model where we coach people to build the model that we're teaching and then we take a percentage of their profits for lifetime. That one's incredibly common, that question. Yeah. And actually like that's a business model that can work very well, but it's immensely complicated to actually operate. It's like venture capital for free, isn't it? Shopify have a model like that now. So they get micro influencers to give people a code for a free Shopify account and they're training for it. And the goal is that if they can get them profitable with Shopify, then they'll stay with them and pay the subscription. So it kind of works as well. But that's if you're like, you've got a software platform that's very well validated. Yeah. And there's no marginal cost. For delivering the service. Mm-hmm. 
I think the way I view it, we'll talk about this another time, but the way I view it is you have to kind of offer a guarantee somewhere. So you have to de-risk it in some way for people. So you can de-risk it from like a, you get the result no matter what you do. And we'll, if you don't, we'll refund you. Or you don't have to do anything. We'll work with you for free and we'll just take a percentage of everything once it goes well. And the way that we do it instead is kind of a third way, which is like, like realistically, we know the reason that if you don't succeed, we know the reason will be because you don't put the time in more than likely. And so we'll flip it and say, we're worthy for as long as you thinks. Like we know the system will work as long as you put the time in. You are the variable. Like you are the risk. As far as we're concerned, like the risk is that you work with us for free. We put loads of time into you, give you access to everything and you just don't do anything. But we get paid nothing unless you make revenue. But realistically, more than likely, the reason you won't make revenue is you you just log in once and then never log in again because it was free. Why would you push to get help? That's a good point. Like we'd love to be able to do something like that. But the reality is we put a lot of time into making sure that the people we work with do well and we offer a lot of support and a lot of our hours. So there is a marginal cost associated with what we do. Propane mm-hmm. business is not just a sort of self-paced course that you go through on your own. It's a lot of us helping you to troubleshoot and design and build and give you some feedback and, and all that kind of stuff too. So that's the route that we chose to go down. I just think, so the people who ask that question typically have like a certain attitude associated with it. Like this kind of like accusatory like <laughs> line of questioning, like how dare you charge for something, which, you know, they're entitled to their opinion, but I just think if you aren't willing to invest in something to begin with, like if you aren't willing to take any risk, why should we take risk on you? It's like when people go to Dragon's Den with it and they say, well, how much money have you put in yourself? They're like, oh, nothing. Interesting. So you want me to invest in your business, but you're not willing to invest in it. Like you want us to work with you for free and us put to put our time and resources and money into something, but you aren't willing to invest in the project yourself. We have put all of our skin in the game with this. Like we've dedicated our full time to this at this point, And we've demonstrated the model in our fitness business as well. So yeah, at least meet us halfway. Right. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.